0: Chris Ward, everyone, attempting a river jumping that I will certainly fail at. Oh, he's...
1: Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward, and this is episode 80, which is seriously blowing my mind right now. Um, (laughs) As I kind of think back to the beginning of this podcast a year and a half ago, um, it seems so long ago, but it also seems just incredibly fast. Um, And so I kind of wanted to take an episode to just sit back and reflect on some of the just um, incredible stories that we've been able to share. And some of the conversations I've been able to have with with some guests that hopefully have inspired you as much as they have inspired me. Um, so I've wanted to do this for a while. So today's going to be a clip show. And as I was starting to put it together... I was kind of thinking to myself, man, I can't just put a clip show of you know of the whole run of podcasts because there are so many moments I want to include. It would be like a three-hour episode. So essentially what I'm doing is I'm splitting it into two sections. So today we're going to release uh, numbers one through 40. So the following clips you hear are all going to be from uh, the first 40 episodes of the podcast. And... At some point in the future, I don't know when, we'll put together a list uh, from episodes 41 through 80 uh, or 79. I probably won't pull any clips from this episode. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I kind of want to do that because, first of all, it's just good for me to go back and reflect on this goal, on this project, uh, as I'm looking towards what I want it to become in the future and, you know, um, when I'm thinking about what guests uh, or topics I want to really kind of you know start focusing on, and honestly, it's just really good to go back and reflect on a goal, and quite frankly, there are just a lot of moments that I'm super excited to share and I'm proud of and you know uh there are things that I remember specifically from conversations i'm like, oh man, I just I want to go back and <laughs> hear that story again.' or you know kind of explore that idea again. So I hope you guys enjoy this um, as much as I do Uh, and if you're a new listener and you know maybe you've listened to the last few weeks of episodes but you haven't really taken time to go back and look at the archives I would highly 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 suggest it and so I'm hoping to kind of especially for new listeners, kind of give you guys a taste of what the show is about, uh, kind of what kind of content you can expect uh, from the Like a Bigfoot podcast. So, you know, it's going to be all about goals, big time goals, big time accomplishments, along with just very solid advice that will hopefully inspire you and help move you along in your life. And quite frankly, just some Amazing adventures! I love hearing stories of adventure and people having to go through, uh, you know, hard times in order to ultimately uh, just you know kick butt on their goals. Um, in today's episode, here's what you guys can expect. So I'm splitting it into four different categories. So the first category is going to be a, all about big time accomplishments. The second category is going to be uh, advice from some of our guests, like really good advice that have really stuck with me and I wanted to go back and share that advice with you guys. Uh, Third column or category is gonna be misadventures because I am so entertained by misadventures. So these will be stories in the wilderness, on <laughs> through certain events uh where people really kind of kind of had to face some difficulty that was that was a bit unexpected uh and then finally since we are talking about adventure sports we have encounters with wildlife that's always entertaining and I guess I could call this like weird stuff you see in the woods um so we have encounters with wildlife and then encounters with hallucinations (laughs) because we've talked to a few guests who have done some insane endurance events and so insane in fact that they do have hallucinations while doing them i'm talking about like 200 mile ultra runs and things of that nature so oh and then we end this little teaser we end with the most important debate on the podcast which uh if you can't tell from my voice it that's complete sarcasm it's not important at all but it made me laugh so anyways I hope you guys enjoy the episode we also recently got a a logo which is super cool so I kind of wanted to release the logo along with this episode as we reflect on the past and push forward into the future so uh, yeah so I guess here's how we're gonna do it I'll kind of like introduce each segment tell you which episode it is from so you could go back and listen to it if you choose uh so let's get started The first clip that i pulled i entitled cameron doran's eyeball and it's from episode number 12 of the podcast with my friend cameron doran who's awesome just an incredible athlete and it's about the time that he got the guinness book of world records for doing burpees for 24 straight hours i looked up something online you mentioned at one point, you were so dehydrated, your eyeball, like. Oh, yeah, during the burpee. Yeah, during the burpee challenge.
2: Yeah,
3: so this even for me, so I'm fascinated with anatomy and the, and the body, right? But I never, the, here's the way it was described to me from a medical doctor at the time. I can put it this way. <laughs> <laughs> so I on like the, the burpee challenge was supposed to last 24 hours started at 4 p.m. on a Friday and went to 4 p.m. on a Saturday. So it's by now like 18 hours in, 19 hours in, somewhere in there. And my body was so in tune. Like, it could just do burpees. Like, if I did any other movement, like lifting my legs up or anything like that in a standing position, it was so weird. It was like, it was like I feel like it's going to shut down. Yeah. But it was like, just do more burpees. Don't spend time doing anything else. <laughs> so... <laughs> I got this awesome – he's a great friend of mine. His name's Roy Lemons. He's a football coach in the next school like district over. So he just starts getting in front of me and shouting, "Camera, 20, 10. And he's just like putting me on, like total drill sergeant screaming at me. And just we're knocking burpees out on the minute, right? Yeah. And he's, he's telling me how me to do each minute or whatever. And it gets to that point, and I did burpees this one time. And, like, oh my body, I'm cold by this time. I'm so cold, you know, and that's a sign of dehydration, right? And everything's going on. And then I stand up, and then I, like, you know, and I'm, like, my left eye had just shot in. Like, it was, like, just, I couldn't even, I'm, like, what is going on? My eye's not closed, but it, it looks down, and I'm looking right, right down on my, like, feet, my bare feet. It's so weird. Like, something, as I'm standing up. I can just see my feet in my left eye. I'm like, that's not normal. But your right, the eye other was, right eye Yeah. Yeah, the the right eye is looking straight forward. My left eye is just like stuck down in my feet. I'm like, what's going on here? And I'm like, it takes you a second to process all this. And I'm like, my eye, and I'm like consciously blinking and trying to like work my eye again. I'm like, my eye is stuck in place <laughs> right now.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. So something about this is what I was told by the guy, and I was like, Roy, that was his name. I was like, is there something wrong with mine? He's like, dude, what's wrong with your eye? And I was like, I asked you if something's wrong with mine. He's like, dude, what's wrong with your eye? And I'm like, that's kind of literally the lingo we had back and forth. (laughs) And then I was like, I got to see about this. Like, I didn't want my eyeball being stuck like that for the rest of my life. But I was like, what can you really do? And then (laughs) there was a medical doctor there, David Bridges, and he explained something about my sodium being low and it could have caused it to be in, to like, be in this place. And I'm like, that is really weird. So I, going back to the days of pickle juice and everything, I just chugged a bunch of pickle juice and took some electrolyte pills, which I've been taking the whole time. And then kind of massaged my eye. And then actually they put some drops in it. And then my eye, I guess, was fixed. <laughs> <laughs> I, if that's the technical term you want to call it. It, it moved again. Under my
1: control, all right. Our next clip is from number 20 with the Iron Cowboy James Lawrence. Uh, if you didn't hear, if you haven't heard about the Iron Cowboy, I would highly suggest looking up uh, some podcasts he did with Rich Roll. Um, he has a documentary on Vimeo that you can check out. And essentially, what he did is incredible, it's the most incredible endurance. Event I've ever witnessed he ran 50 Ironmans in 50 states in 50 days and it's just incredible we talked about the highs and lows of the 50-50-50
5: and then that flip side the super high the super positive was how many people did end up coming around and and supporting us in such a big way I mean you witnessed it in in North Carolina um, just Super cool. Um, big crowds came out. Tons of support. Lots of energy. Uh, I mean, we couldn't have asked for anything more. And then we just picked up momentum from North Carolina on. So the back half of it was was spectacular. Uh, definitely mind blowing for us. Yeah. Um, if I was to pick, if I was to pick like a a low section on the journey, um, it, it was definitely uh, 17, 18, and 19. Yeah, uh, so that's going to be Kentucky, Tennessee, and uh, Mississippi. Yeah, um... Um, we we ran we ran into some crazy weather. Um, I crashed on my bike. Uh, we got pushed indoors. Uh, we made some decisions as a team to do things a certain way, and, and got like just just beat up, and and my my body was broken. And I was trying to figure out how to survive. And we were just doing everything we could to keep the campaign going. Because the end goal was to to raise money for childhood obesity. And and I'm super proud of how we handled things and how the crew handled things. And there was just a ton of adversity there. Um, and, And I was still trying to figure out how to do, I mean, even 18, 19 days into the campaign, I'm still trying to figure out how to do an Ironman every single day and to manage the pain and to manage... The mental side of things, and the fundraising, and the crew, and the expectations, and I mean, there's just so much that goes into a, 50, a two months long <laughs> journey that that people don't that people don't understand, and the compounding effect <clears throat> that goes into something like it. Um, it was just really challenging. I mean, I mean, imagine doing imagine doing 17 consecutive Ironmans. Um, through 17 states successfully and then um, mile 30 on day 18 when it's 106 degrees in Tennessee um, you finally lose the the battle with with extreme fatigue fall asleep on your bike crash make the decision to get back on your bike bike 80 more miles run the marathon that night drive through the night um, and not sleep because you've lost all your toenails and the nerve endings are exposed, and your hip is, is filled with with fluid and is and is uh, is, is inflamed. The movement would wake you up, so don't sleep that night after doing 17 Ironman, 18 Ironmans crashing. Show up on the show up on the 19th day in Mississippi, and there's extreme heat and humidity warnings where they're telling people to not go outside. Um, and so we make a decision to do the Iron Man inside and only in that moment after you've done those things, I think it's fair to, uh, to voice your opinion on how we executed things.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> you said, imagine yeah, what that would feel like. And I think there's yeah. probably not probably, there's definitely 0% of people in the world that can imagine that, <laughs> you know?
5: Yeah, yeah, it's just, I mean, you can you can try to imagine it and then and then actually go out and do it. And, and if you make it to day 18 and you fall asleep and crash on your bike and then get back up and do it, good for you, you know? Yeah. I, I, can't, I can't think of many people that would have even made that decision to do that. And so that, that was, you know, that stretch was super hard on us. It was super hard on me, super hard on my crew, super hard for, for the people that were supporting us watching it. Um, and then, you know, there was... Tons of highs um, on that, but you know the obvious one that stands out is is day 50 in, in Utah. You know, 3,500, 4,000 people come out, um, and it was just just the just just the energy and the 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 passion and the support and it, coming to the culmination of such a big goal and um, and having the resilience uh to, to see that through and to complete it, that, that was just the, the definite high. But, I mean, obviously there was tons of highs and tons of support and tons of laughter and, and meaningful friendships made and, and relationships. And so there's just, it's a journey that, that has completely changed my life um, for, for the better. And I, I learned so many lessons and one that I'm grateful that I did. Um, one that I hope to never do again, but I'm grateful <laughs> I did it.
1: The next clip I wanted to put in here because I wanted you to see kind of the natural progression of a goal (laughs) that just gets insanely extreme. Uh, So we're talking with number 11, Natalie Larson. She's been on the podcast a couple times. This was from her first episode. Uh, which was number 11, her second episode, which was number 66 is about her California coastal fastest known time. So check that one out. And she was also just on the ultra runner podcast.
6: So I did a 50 K in 2010. And then a couple years later, when I was in grad school, there like happened to be this running club in the computer science department. So I joined that. And there are some people that were training for marathons there. And then I just wanted like another new goal, so I picked a. San Diego has like tons of races all the time, and they had a 50 mile race coming up. So I asked one of my friends. Um, he was actually older in the the San Diego like running club thing that I was also a part of. But so he was like, okay, sure, I'll train with you for this thing, and and then I think he, there was another person i knew too that was training for the san diego 50 that year so the three of us ran it and finished it and then the next year um some friends of those friends started like this trail running club and so together like we all decided we wanted to do wanted to like train for a hundred mile race together and um yeah yeah so that's how i got started and then I got like super into it and la- and well, last year was my first year doing hundred mile races and I think I did seven. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Most people do like one a year, maybe. Right. I
6: know.
1: On episode twenty eight, I talked to uh, elite ultra runner Jason Schlarb uh, about his race at the Hard Rock One Hundred, in which him and Killian Jornet, who's one of the absolute like. Phenoms of mountain athletes uh, tied the race in first and set a course record. Last year, running Hard Rock, obviously the big story was you and Killian Journay finished together uh, at the end. Can you kind of give us like a brief rundown of that?
7: Yeah. Yeah. The brief, the cliff notes are that, you know, I was, um, you know, Xavier. Thevenard was in the race he's won UTMB, TDS OCC CCC he, he's amazing a lot of Americans don't know know about him enough but uh, he was in the race um, he's also an Olympic caliber Nordic skier before he, he got into ultra but the three of us were up front and running together quite a bit um, all the way into to going into year a um, and then where I, I fell back at that point, I was loving running with those guys. I was really happy to feel comfortable um, and the exhilaration of, of running with, you know, one absolute, you know, rock star, dream to meet kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, but uh, two, you know, big, 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 big names in the world. Um, so that, that, was, that was how it felt. That was how it was. I got a little too hot. I was running a little bit too fast and slowed down got 10 minutes behind those guys and then on the way up to handies i caught back up to xavier and he was he, i thought he wouldn't finish the race but uh, he did turn it around and finish you know an hour behind uh, killian and i but uh, at handies basically i i'd kind of caught uh killian um he waited maybe like 15 seconds or something like that okay um, right at sunset there. And when I was getting close to him, I was really pumped. I wanted to pass him. I wanted to, <laughs> to you know, I was, I was in competition mode. And, yeah. you know, I was, I was having like, okay, this is one of the, my best days. This, this is my backyard. I'm ready for this. This is this is it. But I didn't want him to uh, wait for me. I did not want him to like have the, or, or run together. I wanted to pass him because um, Killian is such a, a a phenomenal mountain athlete that uh, he usually doesn't have competition and he also uh, he doesn't view competition or these races like he used to as much and then he's just kind of like doing it because he loves it and he's won everything and he's just kind of he does a couple races a year now and focuses on Everest
1: yeah that's what he was doing right he was like bleeding up to try to set the fastest time on Everest.
7: Correct. And he'd done one other race, uh, Zagama or something, and, and won that and two minutes off his own course record or something. But anyways, he, uh, he sometimes entertains himself with other people Runners and they'll slow down. When he when he ran one UTMB, he he actually like stopped at a number of climbs and waited for the other guys to catch up. And I was like, uh <laughs> no, you know, I I I, I would like, uh, you know, I, I'm absolutely star struck by you, but I I, I don't want to to be that person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I was kind of, was kind of grumpy and, and didn't even like really talk that much for the first like hour after we were running together, but. Then all of a sudden I found out they were pretty close to course record pace. And then I started to realize, uh, almost kind of, I I disbelieved at that time, but uh, that that he was kind of pushing as as pretty much as hard as he could. And, you know, he wasn't like just having a great time, you know, talking it up with me and stuff. And, and, uh, you know, he stayed with me for, or we stayed together for so, so long. Uh, then I, start, I, kind of got over that, uh, entertainment, you know, I didn't want to be that guy. And, uh, I started to believe maybe that wasn't the case and we pushed and pushed and pushed and we'd stop at the aid station. He'd wait for me. I'd wait for him. You know, he'd be eating some pancakes or something. And we were spending a lot more time in the aid stations than normal because there's nobody close to us and we were each other's competition. Yeah. So we could <laughs> indulge a little bit. But that's, that's kind of his style anyways, but definitely not my style. I was eating bacon and pancakes and stuff <laughs> at eight <aid> stations. <laughs> but anyway, we got, uh, we started to get late into the, the night early into the morning and started thinking, okay, I, I, I think we're going to probably finish together. Uh, that's, that's how I started to feel. And, but I, it, it was too early or I was kind of bashful to be like, Hey, are we going to do this? Cause anything could happen. And, uh, we got to the last aid station <laughs> and, uh, you know at cunningham with about 10 miles to go or something like that and we both left the aid station together and he looks over at me and says hey you can go ahead and I, you know in disbelief i was like oh no 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 you go ahead <laughs> you can win you are killian and at that point uh he said N- i don't see any reason for us to be you know several minutes apart after spending the entire night together, uh, you know, running and helping each other and pushing as hard as we could, uh, let's finish together. And uh, I said, it sounds good to me, man." It it it, <laughs> it wasn't even like a thought. It was, it was so emotionally kind of had done the task together, and so like tired and broken down, and, and like pushing ourselves that it was, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was truly that bromance kind of emotional thing. <laughs> it was. I, I, I don't it was, it was a bit of a love affair. I don't know it, we, we finished <laughs> together, you know, we, I wanted to go under Kyle's, his, his, his old uh, record. And he's like, yes, we got to do that. And then it was like, Oh, we can get under 23 hours. And he's like, we must. And so we were running like seven pace for, and, and maybe a little faster, you know, at, at mile 95, <laughs> and Emily, Emily, his, his girlfriend, Caught back up to ran from town back towards us and was like, Are you guys racing? You're running so fast. You know, what's going on? And we're like, No, no, we just want to go under 23. So <laughs> that, that, that's how I finished. And yeah, I, I, I hope I can be in that good of shape next year <laughs> or this year. All
1: right. Now we're moving into the advice column, I guess you could call it, uh, section of the clip show. Um, The thing I'm most proud about with putting this podcast out is the amount of people who have written in saying that they've become inspired through listening to some of these guests. And all I want to say to those people when they write in is, yeah, man, me too, (laughs) Um, because the guests are really inspiring and they give excellent advice. So that's what this section is about. First one is... You know, honestly one of the most insightful pieces of of advice spoken on this podcast to this point, and it was in episode number one with one of my best friend Brady Manriquez, who had recently just rediscovered health and lost sixty five pounds and began to kind of rediscover the joys of becoming an athlete.
2: It's plain as day when you see the side by side that a lot has changed in the last nine months. But the the thing I think people don't talk about a lot with weight loss or these transformational things, you really like to see those weight loss transformation pictures. Those are always fun to see. But it's uh, also the emotional part of it is you have to do emotional work while you're also doing physical work. Um, I don't think that gets talked about very often because the the inner monologue is also – a huge part of what, what, keeps people from sustaining change. Um, and even though you can see the, the big change side by side, you can still have this emotional or inner monologue that is still like the same, they're unchanged from when you started. And that's also a battle that you have to kind of work at as well.
1: So you spoke of sustainability. So, Let's start with the inner monologue. How, how do you sustain a positive a positive talk during
2: this? I, it, it's tough because it, that is a – a, like diet and exercise and weight and all. It, it can be a little bit of a roller coaster. Like it's, it's kind of hard to um, – it, it's kind of hard to say here's how you solve it because I'm still in the middle of all of it and I don't know that I have like all these answers. <laughs> but some of the things I do, I've always had um, – I almost want to call them like a mantra or something I'll say, um, to myself that just really resonates with me and helps. And one of the things I I try to say to myself is celebrate the little victories. and you have to, you mean someone? largely I'm going through this on my own, just kind of day to day working to, you know, exercise, eat better, learning how to cook, that kind of thing. Um, and I have to, I have to recognize little changes. Like, um, when you hit a new milestone, as far as I'm doing a lot of running for my like exercise and for the first time ever running five miles without stopping wow. was a huge my, personal milestone for me, but I'm the only one there seeing it. And I, I realized I'm motivated by, um, recognition, which I think might be a little needy, but personally, if I'm reminding myself of, I, if I am personally celebrating those little victories, I'm doing myself a lot of good. And, um, yeah, that's one thing is I try to wake up and say, I'm, I'm not where I want to be, but I got to at least be thankful. I'm not where I was. That's that's another thing. Kind of try to tell myself that over and over again. Um, that you can you know you might lose the battle of the day but you haven't lost the battle of the week or the last month like you kind of have to
1: remind yourself of all the successes all the little successes that are adding up to bigger and bigger successes that's huge man that reminds me of two things first thing is rocky balboa when he runs the stairs by himself and he just like fist pumps at the top and he's so excited no one witnessed that but rocky you know that's I don't want to interrupt you. I know you have a second thing, but that's, that's funny. Literally,
2: I, te- I typically run, like, about a 5K a day is kind of the goal. And if I run a 5K, there's this defined point. I kind of run the same, uh, similar route each day. But every time that I end my run, I always put my hands up in the air, <laughs> like I'm um, crossing a finish line. I always do that just I've mentally, done that too. like i don't that, I don't know if that is, <laughs> I don't know if that's actually helpful or not but it's just it's another little mental trick of like celebrate that you just did this run even though you've done it 40 times before here's the 41st time you did it so let's celebrate the end of this run i love it really put our hands there i love it it seems silly these things seem silly but i think they really work
1: the next piece of advice is the the one piece of advice from the podcast that I've actually used the most, um, something I've applied in numerous races, numerous moments in life uh, after it was shared. Um, this is a clip from the episode we did with George Kittle. Uh, he's it was number twenty two of the podcast. He's now one of the top rookie tight ends in the nfl he plays for the san francisco 49ers he's just such a well-spoken inspiring kid who like i said this piece of advice you will take away it's about his his wristband
8: i mean just growing up with my dad like the amount of times that he would just take me out and just throw me like deep balls and then he would just like You'd always just tell me like the one of the best things a player can be is coachable. To like, just listen to your coach, look him in the eyes, and do whatever he has to say as best you can.
1: Yeah, do you think that? So it seems like you had a pretty healthy. Like a lot of people don't have a healthy relationship with failure. Like they might mess up, and then just get completely flustered, and then you know you know how it is when people when people go through failure and then they just they let that kind of destroy them. But the healthy way to yeah. look at it is that failure is just going to happen naturally while you're learning a new skill or learning something new. Um, what do you attribute that to?
8: Well, like, that's the thing I actually, I, like, I dealt with that pretty well in high school. Like, I just kind of flushed stuff and then anything went wrong. But in college, it's kind of a new thing. You have to, like, you have to relearn it because you never, like, like, you know, failure sucks. It's not fun. But um, especially as a freshman, because you, when you want to do everything right, you want to impress the coaches, you want to impress your teammates, you want to do everything right, you know, so you, you know people view you as accountable. Um, so, that, that you know, that took some learning. And, uh, you know, once you figure that out, then you I mean, you can start playing. And even if you do mess up, you know, it doesn't even matter. But and it took me, like, I'd say, like a year, year and a half to really figure that out. Not really my freshman year because, you know, it doesn't really matter because, you know, you're on scout team the whole time. Yeah. But, you know, like that retro freshman year when all I was doing was running re- wheel routes, I didn't really understand the options entirely. So, I mean, I messed up here and there, but, you know, after a while, you just, you just got to, you just got to let everything go and just be able to play ball.
1: Yeah. So, what do you, what do you, do you have something you tell yourself after you make a mistake? So, you know, missing a block or dropping a pass?
8: Um. You know, I actually, this year, I, um, Matt Vandenberg, you know, he helped me out. You know, I, I hit a little bit of a rough patch in camp. You know, I had a couple of bad practices in a row. And then Matt Vandenberg came to me. And he was like, dude, just – because I, I had wrist tape every day because, you know, I blocked, had to protect my wrist. So he's like, just draw a, an R on your your wrist tape. And every time you mess up or, you know, you drop a pass, or something like that, just click the R. Just push it, you know, it's just like, put your thumb on the R and it's a reset button. And that's all you got to say is just, hey, reset. Even if you make a good play, you make a bad play, just reset it because the next play is the one that matters. Like, you could just have a 50-yard catch. That doesn't matter. Like, the next play is the most important play. So he said, just use that reset button. And uh, that's something that, you know, he showed me. And uh, that's, like, after a while, it's just kind of, uh, you know, you don't really need to, you know, push it physically, but it's just mental in your head. You're saying, all right, next play, next play. And that's something that really helped me out. Um, I kind of did stuff like that early on in my career, but that was – really the most helpful thing
1: yeah what uh, even during the ultra successful moments the touchdowns and the pancakes and stuff you you still do you still mentally think about that
8: you know after after like three either after like three or four weeks of just like you know physically pushing the r on my hand like my wrist it just became like it was a, just a checklist like after every single play you know i was just like all right next one next one reset it And uh, that really helped me. And, you know, I think that's an incredibly helpful thing because, you know, football, it's it's a physical sport, but it's also, I mean, it's incredibly mental and, uh, you know, you can't let things snowball, you know, badly. And so if you, if you're able to reset it every single play, then you have a chance to do a lot of good plays in a row.
1: The next clip is from, at least in my life, it's my most listened to episode of the podcast, uh, Number 32, the, our Monument Valley's Ultra Race Report, uh, part two, in which my friend Travis Steffen one of my best friends in the whole world, he ran a 50 miler on essentially zero training. And so this clip he's talking about why he wanted to do that. Why was that purposeful in his life? You should definitely check out the episode though because there's so many hilarious moments. Uh, that I just couldn't have time to put in, but check it out—he's crazy.
9: We're gonna teach you about leadership, teamwork, and and he looks at me, and he's like, and oh, we're gonna help you find yourself. And I'm like, oh shit, what does that mean? You know? And then like it was, it was like a, I mean, it was like a 14 hour challenge where you you're taken to the limit mentally, like physically and mentally. And I after that, you kind of always kind of weirdly look for that return to brutality in a weird way. Um, and you just get to this place where you learn for yourself who you are, like what kind of person you really are. And you figure out how much you've grown and what your own capacity to achieve actually is uh, when it's just you versus you. Cause nobody, nobody cares. Nobody knows your name that, is there except for your friends or maybe your family. Like you're not getting paid. You're not on TV. Um, if you quit, nobody cares. If you finish, nobody cares. Like you get a bottle full of sand. Like who cares? The the yeah. only reason you're there is for you. And so I'm like the, the, I want to learn about myself here. And, um, and I know, but, but I tell you what, when I, I look to my left at that moment and I could hear just, like, a downpour hitting the rock face. <laughs> and I my eyes uh, get wide in the dark. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh no. And I just, like, start booking it. Like, I doubled my pace. It will, I couldn't call it a run, really. But it wasn't a walk. It was like a guess. No, like a th- it's everything you it was, had. Yeah. yeah, it was something. And I kept going at that pace until maybe like um a tenth of a mile left uh when i got almost in the into the parking lot by the cabins and then i walked for a little while and then was able to kind of run a little bit or, over the finish
1: line the next clip is from episode number 33 with will sieber who climbed every colorado 14er in the winter and it's a piece of advice that really you can only learn while climbing a mountain Cause you always hear about one step at a time, but when you're on the edge of a mountain, it develops a whole new meaning.
10: There were instances where, uh, I was had, I had some issues with my extremities on like a knife edge. Um, I, on, on capital, um,
1: on the knife edge.
10: Yeah. On, on capital, um, my toes, I could barely feel my toes all day. Um, (laughs) My, that was the first time that my toe heaters failed. And
0: yeah,
11: oh,
10: no. it was kind of interesting. I, I wish I wish I had had a previous winter kind of dial in the system before I had attempted this, but, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so I was figuring this out as I went. And so the first time I had a heater fail was, yeah, it was um, as we were about to start um, booting up K2 um, to start the Capitol Ridge. And so I spent pretty much that whole day um you know, really anxious about my toes. Um and uh if you take a knife edge like Capital um and you look at the whole thing, it's really daunting. Um and at, at least at least for me, I looked at that thing in winter and it was like, holy crap. Um and then even um you know just starting off from K two um and you look at you look at the fifty feet in front of you, and it's really daunting. And it's so easy to get caught just gawking at what's in front of you, and not making any progress. Like I, I repeatedly found, find myself. I think uh, the first time I this the first big time this happened was on the S Ridge of uh, Snowmass, which I did in. Uh, uh, in snowy conditions in November, I think. Um, I think it was November, maybe it was October. Um, yeah, looking at, I kept getting stopped. I kept catching myself stopping and, and looking at this, this crazy Ridge in front of me, just thinking like, like shaking in my boots, you know, just like, Holy crap. Like I, I can't, uh, you know you're just staring at it kind of in fear and thinking like how far you have to go and how slow you're moving and uh because your pace really tends at least mine <laughs> until i get uh more proficient at scrambling which i very well intend to um yeah your pace really slows uh on the harder terrain like that cuz you got to be super careful cuz you're ex- you're exposed and you you know taking one one step at a time uh really carefully. And so it's so easy to get caught, uh, looking at all that that's in front of you. It's very intimidating. And I just realized how inefficient that was, you know, I'm just, I'm, i take a bunch of steps and then I sit and stare at what's in front of me, like thinking it's, uh, how scary it is. Yeah. And, um, and I, re- I realized like, I'm, I'm not making good time at all. Uh, I need to come up with a solution for this problem, and then what I realize is, you know, if you look at the two or three feet in front of you, it's really doable. It's totally doable. Move to move, handhold to handhold. Like uh, it, it's not bad. in Class four it isn't difficult technically. Um, you know, it's it's not it's not like difficult rock climbing. It's just exposed. The moves aren't very difficult. It's just scary because if you did mess up, the results would be catastrophic. Yeah. And so, But if you look at the couple feet in front of you, um, it looks doable. If you look 20 feet in front of you, not so much. So I kept starting to remind myself, task at hand, like over and over again, just reminding myself, focus on the task at hand. Stop looking at what's 10, 20, 30 feet in front of you or further. Just focus on what's right in front of you and um, and go – go step by step, you know, and that was one of the most effective things that I figured out for myself. Um, just, uh, made a huge difference because then I, you know, then you, you make progress. Uh, you, you just keep, keep moving forward. And I, and I, I found that to be true through the whole uh, on the, on the scope, of the project as a whole as well because if you think about doing 59 of these things in winter and one of the biggest uh differences about winter is the mileage and the vertical gain is way way uh bigger than in the summer because you got almost with a few exceptions almost all all of the all the routes are considerably longer because of the road closures. Yep. Um, so the winter road closures add many miles to each and many thousands of feet of vertical to each route. So that's one of the, one of the challenges of doing them in winter, um, is the total mileage for the whole thing is way bigger. So if I, if I were to be thinking to myself about how ridiculous it is to consider doing them all, uh, in winter, you know, I have two months left and I have forty some odd peaks <laughs> left to do. Like holy moly, like this is not possible. Yeah man. You know, it it starts this negative uh this negative thought train that's just you know, and I find any any sort of negative thoughts like in this kind of endeavor, they're crushing and like any strategies to to wipe those out and stay positive and stay in the moment and stay focused on the tangible tasks at hand H- were huge in getting as far as I did. And so instead of thinking about, uh, I have, you know, 45 peaks left, I think, no, tomorrow I'm going to, uh, do Mount Lindsay. I'm going to summit Mount Lindsay, you know, and that in my mind is totally doable.
1: And our final clip from our quote-unquote advice column is from Simon Donato. Uh, if you've ever seen the show Boundless, if you're an endurance racer, check it out. It's really good. Uh, he's number 38 on the podcast. I think it's something a lot of us ultra runners, ultra endurance athletes will relate to.
12: So having those, those kind of moments, they, they force you to uh, deal with, with things going awry from what your life plan is. But I'd say that it was really my immersion in sport that um, that taught me these lessons and made it an, a natural part of how I think now. Uh, because if you think about it, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about 10,000 hours to, you know, become an expert in something. And there's lots of other authors who, you know, espouse the same kind of theories and uh quote the research and literature if you look at these big life events your driver's license going out to make a team you know when you're a kid uh when you get older it might be relationship stuff or work things typically you're not hit on the head that often when you're racing (laughs) uh, especially an adventure race being out there for 36 hours How many navigational decisions do you have to make? Uh, How many uh, team decisions do you have to make? Somebody's slowing down. Do you offer to take their bag? Or you're starting to slow down. When do you say, hey, guys, I need help? Uh, You're training. your daily training. How hard do you go? When do you take your breaks? I mean, these are things that continually force you to analyze what you're doing. And am I doing whatever it is in the most optimal and efficient way? And... I, I think that by living that and having to make those decisions almost on a daily or when you're racing, you know, minute by minute basis to some degree, it helps you deal with the bigger things that happen in life less frequently.
1: All right, and obviously in the throughout our, our run of episodes there's so much more advice. Uh, just tried to pick out a handful to kind of give you a scope of what, what to expect. Um, and that goes into this category too. This is misadventures, which is easily one of my favorite topics. Um, There are a ridiculous amount of misadventures that we've had, even in the first 40 episodes. I picked three. Um, There's so many more. I'm thinking of episode number two with Calvin Johansson about climbing a bunch of mountains. Uh, Number eight with Ryan Esdor. Check that out, especially the end of his challenging GORUCK experience where he wound up in the hospital um number 9 Brandon Sweat miss that could be called misadventures in a silent 10-day silent meditation <laughs> retreat which are a little weirder misadventures uh 16 Joel Bound I mean this is my uncle Joel he did a around the world mountaineering adventure in 1971 so there are so many more uh number 19 Shada Hussein misadventures in the in Seattle so there's so many here and I apologize for not being able to get clips from every single episode. It just would be a super long podcast then. But here we go. Some misadventures. We're going to start with uh, Adam Casey, who's been on the show a few times. And he originally showed up on episode number 30. And it's about... I mean, this is not This is more of like a kind of scary misadventure. Uh, he was on an obstacle course training for the Navy SEALs and going through a very... Very challenging time uh, health-wise, and it all kind of came to a culmination
13: on this obstacle course. This specific story is like my fifth weekend, but you would—I was well versed with the obstacle course okay. at this point because I had been out there for six months at least in this like holding cell where you were probably getting like a twenty percent intensity level of training. Gotcha. Um, but so I get to this part of the, t- uh, the obstacle course, obstacle course called the High Tower for Life. I love these names that they throw out there, and so it's just like thirty foot tower. Again, if you went on Google Maps, you'd be able to see it. But it's uh, you know a wooden structure that's thirty feet, I'd say, up from the uh, up from the ground. And the way you get up there is you gotta you know it's not like you take a ladder. You actually get to do these really cool acrobatic moves where you do these like reverse pull ups, and because it's like a, it ha- it's a, it's a tower with no walls, and you. Again, you just do these really acrobatic movements that you didn't ever think you could do to get up there and it's, you, know, you feel really cool by the time you get to the top. Yeah. But, the, but then you got to come back down. <laughs> and so the way you get back down is there's this rope and it's like the hypotenuse of a triangle kind of idea and you slide down the rope like a sloth, like hand over hand, kind of you know feet, feet going first and you just start pulling yourself down. Well, this day, I was just such a wreck that... You know, like I said, everything going on with my immune system, not eating, everything. I remember, you know, I'm feeling tired, but, like, this is a different level of tired. And I got up there to that, to the tower, and I was incredibly exhausted. Way beyond what I knew was a normal level of exhausted. You knew something was up. So I get on the high tower, and I'm about to get on the rope, And it's, you have to, like, announce. It's part of, it's, you just basically have to say, you know, your name. You know, I would say, Ensign Casey right side high tower for life and I got you know you just you are announcing to the instructors below it was basically like a hey look at me like so you can make fun of me as I go down <laughs> so you can like I, if, if if there's ever a, a spot to pick at me right now here it is yeah and so I I announce it and I get on and I remember I had my my legs wrapped around and I had both hands on the rope and I went to take my first like pull with my right hand coming over Uh, on you know and just pulling myself down and as I was making that motion that tired you know when you first probably moved out here that acclimation uh, yeah like I can't catch a breath I remember feeling like man I can't breathe right now and as I was going to clasp back on the rope with my right hand everything just went black and I just (sighs) fell and I you know they the term dirt died because I basically just dove head first. I fell head first into the ground um, and I don't remember this much uh, this is all just my classmates telling me because again when you announce NCCC high everyone's kind of looking at you yeah. and I do remember waking up in the like the weird, I don't want to call it the hospital but basically the medical portion of the training base where and they were cutting my clothes off and I was on a stretcher because not only did I fall and I landed head first, but the, it, it was soft sand so it's not like I landed on pavement but I landed, the way I landed, and apparently after I landed, I started, like, convulsing. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I don't know why. I don't. I never really got a definitive answer why that happened. I think that was just, like, the extreme, you know, shock that I my body. Of, like, hitting the ground, yeah. right? Yeah. And just, like, the condition that my body was in in general. I don't know. But I ended up spending the night in the hospital, got released from there. So because I spent the night in the hospital, I got, got rolled back into Class 300.
1: One of the topics we talk about a lot on the podcast is mountains. And so much to my surprise, we I've heard two absolutely terrifying stories about the same mountain from two different people. So the first clip is going to be from number 18, Calvin Johansson, uh, another one of my best friends. Uh, he climbed 111 mountains in 105 days. And this is about his terrifying experience on Mount Wilson. And then we go back to number 33 with Will Sieber, who climbed them all in the winter. And he also had a terrifying encounter on Mount Wilson. So if you're in Colorado, Mount Wilson must be an absolute monster. Also, last time you left us, on a literal cliffhanger. <laughs> and I believe you're in the Wilson Peak
0: range. Maybe that was it. Well, I remember we did this podcast. I was out in California. But I think... Yeah,
1: you are halfway through the project at that point.
0: Or a little more than halfway because yeah, you just
1: expanded it to 100.
0: Yeah, because we did yeah. Rainier and I did some California. Um, we
1: talked about your 30-hour 30, 30 event.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I think... The literal cliffhanger that we didn't talk about was maybe one more scarier kind of moments of in the project. Was it the most the scariest moment? Yeah, I would say so. Even though like the thirty-plus hour kind of thing, it was a different kind of scary. Of like, I knew I think I was going to get through that, but this what it was a potential. Like I could see myself being seriously injured, and it was so it was quite frightening. Yeah, um, one of those like you walk away from it, and then you know, ten hours later, you're like i'm across the state again i'm just like gonna do some more mountains the next day i'm just like i can't believe that just happened you know <laughs> uh the quick story is uh the wilson group has three mountains and it one of them between two of them is a one of the famous four big traverses in colorado i think the um mount wilson or is it wilson peak mount wilson to el diente has a. Uh, as a traverse. And I didn't actually read much about it. So I just figured like, oh, it shouldn't be that bad. Um, but during that time, that weather area was monsoon season. So there's a lot of storms. So I was really trying to beat them. And here I was going to try to do all three of these mountains in a day, um, which is doable. It's just a very big day and you got to be really conditioned. So I set off and right away, I'm just in a cloud basically all day long. Like maybe I can see 20, 30 feet uh and I would do that way all the way up to first Wilson Peak. Um, and it wasn't too bad then or it's still like you couldn't see like I could maybe see 30 feet, but I kept like just yeah. kind of a trail. I was moving with it so you know I was working out. And then between Wilson Peak to go to head down that summit and continue on to go over to Mount Wilson, um, I got lost. <laughs> yeah. uh, I couldn't because the, the cloud coverage was so thick, I couldn't see like where I was trying to go. I was just trying to use like a GPS navigator on my phone. Um, so I got a little lost there, so I lost time and time is really precious because these thunderstorms are happening like 100% chance at noon, mm-hmm. right? Um but also the clouds like opened up and showed me Mount Wilson. I was like, "Oh my god, so it's right there." So, I kind of scramble up that and uh, get to the top to the summit, which again, I can see the clouds opened up but they quickly closed within, you know, 50, 10 minutes. It's kind of weird how it happens that way. Um, but it showed me that mountain, so I scrambled up it. And then uh, I was like, all right, now i got to do this traverse. I've got some uh, beta, which is climber slang for information on a route. And I was like, okay, well, it's a, like a class three-ish route. It's technical in some spots, um, but it doesn't sound too bad. And at this point, I was already had maybe like, it was maybe 11 or 1030. I was already behind, and it was getting close. For thunderstorms, for sure, going to be there. So I jet off to head to do the traverse, and instead of taking a left, I took a right, because I was doing the tra- traverse backwards how normal, more normal people do it, so I was trying to decipher the information and try to like work it in reverse. And instantly I found myself, I was I knew I was off trail, and I was on some really steep technical stuff. And at this point, the time was like, it was too late. Like I was like, I need to, what would I tell anyone else to do in this scenario? It seemed like I couldn't really backtrack because I was kind of heading down a little bit. But I was also just – I was stuck. I could only see like 15 feet at a time. So it's like, okay, if I could find like a couloir or like a gully, I can probably just work my way off this mountain and get out of here. And I just won't get El Diente. I'll have to forfeit it and figure out how to do it another time. Yeah. Uh, so I tried to make the good calls. Like, all right, I'm going to bail on this traverse. Um you know, I swallowed my pride and my ego a little bit. I was like, I need to be safe because I'd already had a few close calls the prior week with lightning and stuff like that. That was just too scary. So I'm heading, I'm like, so I'm trying to head off. And like every time I kept going down, I thought, okay, if I just move 15 more feet, it'll reveal itself, but it's got to get safer. <laughs> yeah. And I was in in the Wilson group. The, the rock texture stuff is like a lot of, I think, lies, the term. I'm not good with my geology. Okay. Um, but when the rock gets wet, it's super slippery. And so I had these new shoes that I've been working with for like a few days in which the tread, I wasn't digging them. Like, I just found them really slippery. And I'm thinking, is it the shoes, is the rocks? Like, I don't know. But these were not – I mean, they're trail running shoes. They're not rock climbing shoes. Yeah. And soon I found myself on stuff that even if I had maybe a rope and some rock climbing shoes, with my experience, I don't know that I'd be that super comfortable with. But I, I just – I had no choice. It's like I could – at one point I was sitting there and I'm like well I could sit here and try to wait the storm out that is coming and it's like for so, sure coming for in sure Colorado, coming in it's 100% yeah and happened. I was in monsoon season like it was it was scheduled 100% it was coming so I was sitting there and I'm like okay I could sit here in this spot for the next six hours and hope a storm comes through which is coming but hopefully it passes in the meantime I'm super exposed I would get struck by lightning and then like maybe it'll all clear up I can see where to go yeah because I couldn't see anything but I was like or I'll just keep trying to slowly move down. Like, I was like, that sounds like a bad idea to just be a sitting duck exposed. But man, I kept trying to move down. It was so sketchy and like doing actual, like, kind of free climbing stuff. i um, probably like on grade like 5'5, five, five, maybe 5'6, five, kind of stuff. Man. Probably 5'5, 5'4, 5'5. But it was wet and slippery. And it was just like, at any moment, I'm looking down. It's like, I could see myself falling 30, 40 feet here. And this is how I break a leg and ankle or something. Yeah. I'm stuck up. I, I see exactly how this happens. And here I was trying to bail and get off the mountain safely, but I was screwed. So after having about a panic attack with just trying to be as calm as possible, being like, I need now to get my head because I need to focus so I can get out of here. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> the clouds like part, and I see kind of where I'm on the mountain.
4: Yeah.
3: and
0: I look back up and I see an opening and I was like oh I know where I'm at I'm <laughs> kind of half down this I'm like I can see myself getting out of here or now that I see a direct route back up to get on track onto the ridge uh, I can still get to the other summit so I was like here's a chance a moment of glory let's just go for it so yeah. like an idiot I start heading back up to the mountain <laughs> I get up to the ridge and just this huge crack of thunder just uh-huh. rattles the whole place. Dude, you can't, <laughs> if you're listening to this, you can't see me, but my eyes are like, I haven't
1: blinked in like three minutes and my heart is going crazy.
0: So it just huge thunder just rattles me and I instantly turn and look on the other side of the ridge and in the mountain behind, like two mountains back, it's just pitch black. And I was like, my exact words were, You are a fucking idiot. Like, why didn't you go off this? <laughs> so I, I was like, I have oh 15 God, minutes. I gave myself like a time. I was like, you get Calvin, like 15, 20 minutes. You got to get to the other summit. Don't even think and just move. And once I was back on top of the ridge on the traverse part, much easier. Like, I didn't even have to think. And I, uh, it turned out the part that I was down climbing uh, on the wrong side of the trail, the route, was the steepest part of the mountain. <laughs> so I was like, I bailed on the wrong side. Like, that's what got me into real trouble. Oh, okay. So, because it, it had I gone the other way originally, when I left the other summit of Mount Wilson and took a left, I would have caught the trail. I would have stayed up on the ridge and been okay. But I tried to bail off the steepest part on the right <sighs> side, which is not good.
1: Did you ever have a moment where you're like w- so out of your element or thought to yourself like, what the hell did I get myself into?
10: Um, I think that on my attempt to the Wilson out the Entage Reverse, I was feeling that way. Yeah, and um, a big big part of it is how tired I was at that point Um, I trained really hard I trained a lot I really prepared my mind and my body for the the rigors of the project but trying to squeeze so many peaks back to back um, with much less rest than I had trained for nearing the end of the project um, I was really getting worn down um, more than I had intended post Giardia um cause it threw me off schedule so um i was doing these things pretty tired um and that's i I don't want to be on class four when I'm tired, especially really snow covered uh fourth class solo um that's a pretty daunting place to be for me um that um that ridge between Wilson, uh, Mount Wilson and El Diente, and the the uh, snow conditions were deteriorating. There was wet slides, and I was getting really sketched out by the snow. And I ended up turning around about a little past three quarters of the way across the traverse. Like I was almost there, um, uh, I just wasn't comfortable with the snow, and I just kept kind of the feeling in my stomach, in the pit of my stomach, like that I shouldn't be doing that. And uh, I really, you know, want to listen to that.
11: Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's
10: really easy to try to ignore that and just push through <laughs> and, and expose yourself to risk. Um, but I'm really glad I made the decision I did to turn around uh, and listen to the gut feeling. And, and I mean, and it was logic too. You know, I, I knew that if I had gone on to summit and by the time I came back, the snow would be even softer and, oh, yeah. and worse. Worse shape. So it was a good decision. But that, that, there are periods of time on that traverse given how much snow was on it. Um, and having a lot of snow on, the, on those ridges makes a big difference in difficulty. Um, so, yeah, there, there, there are moments uh, there where I definitely uh, thought that I, I shouldn't be there right now.
1: All right. And on to our final segment, Weird Stuff you see in the woods <laughs> um once again there's there's some episodes that i just am not going to get a chance to play a couple clips from uh that i wish i could and so i'm thinking of number 27 with sean Forey, who did the first ever winter through hike of the pacific crest trail i mean that was filled with weird stuff you'd see in the woods um but i want to start with candace burt now candace uh is the race director for the 200 mile races around here uh the bigfoot 200 tahoe 200 moab 240 and while she's designing her trails and designing her courses she spends an insane amount of time just out in the wilderness exploring
4: i ran the wonderland trail in 2012 it was my first experience with that kind of i was trying to set um FKT at the time, and um, so I was like, Oh, I'll just run this 90 miles. I've run 100 miles, no problem, yeah, Yeah. you know, around the mountain. (laughs) And then, and then I like at night came on, and I was like, Oh, that's a little scary. What if I see, you know, bear eyes, or like, yeah, and then I did. Um, What was that around? Is that around
1: Rainier, or
4: yeah, yeah exactly so so you saw i was actually traumatized after that
1: it was a mountain lion or was it a bear (laughs)
4: uh i saw i saw uh it's sort of complicated i saw a bear okay and bears don't really care too much about you and then i saw two mountain lions um of just a short while later um and that was definitely definitely the most, the scariest part. And then, um, once I gotten up the mountain and the, it was getting light again and I heard a rustling in the bushes and I look over and it's another bear. And I, I had like woken it up from some slumber or something. And I sort of just automatically made this sound like I had made for the mountain lion. Cause you're supposed to scare mountain lions away. And I was like, woo, you know, just this siren <laughs> sound. And the yeah. bear goes, <gasps> <laughs> he was just so angry that I'm making this horrible sound at him. Oh, no. <laughs> I was only <totally> like, oops. <laughs> I just backed away slowly. And, you know, it's funny because we're just, I think humans aren't really used to seeing wild animals anymore. I'm sure it used to be a little more common. Um, so getting used to that. But I think, you know, after those experiences, I knew that there were animals out there. And I guess I just sort of hoped I would be okay.
1: Our next clip is from episode number thirteen with Melissa Sinclair, and Melissa had actually was basically gave me a race report uh, from one of Candice's races, uh, the Tahoe two hundred, and impressingly, impressively enough, she ran <laughs> she ran the whole entire race with her husband, which is super cool. Um, and of course, during two hundred mile races you run into a little thing we like to call losing your mind. Um, I know you mentioned hallucinations. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> when did the hallucinations start? <laughs> and what were the hallucinations?
14: <laughs> <laughs> when did they start? I can't tell you that exactly because I don't know if some of the stuff before that was hallucinations, and I still think it's true.
1: Okay. Um, such as?
14: Such as? I mean, there'd be like small things where you'd be like, my husband stopped me one time and grabbed my shoulder. Like, Wait, Melissa. It's like, do you see that over there? He's like, is that a bear, or is that a log? I'm like, and I had to look too. I'm like, it's definitely a log. But like, I had to do a second guess thing. Yeah. And then, um, I mean, yeah, you just be, like walking along, you're like, oh, you know, there's some people like in a um, colonial carriage in the middle of the, like forest, but you wouldn't be phased by it. That was the weird thing. Like, if I actually had saw that, I'd be like, what the heck are these people doing here? But, I mean, just seeing it while you're in that state, you're just like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Or, oh, look, it's like a polar bear on that rock. Or um the craziest one was, I think these were getting past the... I think these are around like the 80 mile marker or 100 mile marker, continuing forward, just because you're so deprived on sleep. Um, but one of the ones was my husband was just so tired going into this one aid station, like completely bonking, and in the forest, I, he was following me and looking back, and his head was just kind of bobbing side to side, and poles kind of swinging, not in the way they should be swinging. And I was like, how are you feeling? He's like, yeah, like, I'm good. Like, it's just weird. Like, the, our whole trail right now is all, like, pictures. Like, a big picture collage. It's kind of cool, hey? I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, the trail we're running on. It's like, all of our pictures are in a collage on this trail. And so, I mean, at that point, I was like, okay, like, you need to sit down. Take a little breather. And then when I got him to sit down and start talking, his eyelids would start, like, closing. But he'd still continue talking and stuff like that. Um and um yeah i mean that was like one of the weirdest ones just because i didn't know how to handle that it's like no it's not a bear it's like picture collages didn't see that one coming yeah Um, no
1: it's not a bear is really easy to uh to discount you're like that's obviously not bear (laughs) but Mm -hmm. picture picture is is kind of a whole nother thing um yeah (laughs) uh who hallucinated more him oh yeah
14: easily yeah yeah
1: just because yeah. of the, the weird picture collage trippiness or...
14: Yeah, that, and I think there's a few times where, like, you kind of look back and you'd see him, like, staring off, and you're like, I think he's like has an eye on something, or, um, yeah. I think we were <laughs> pretty both, like, bonked out in a few sections, but yeah. maybe I just kept a bit more of my hallucinations to myself, unfairly. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's no fun. I think part of the fun would be sharing what you're seeing, you know?
14: (laughs) Oh, yeah. And we ran into some people out there that were, like, hallucinating. Before that power line climb, there was one guy that had not slept. And I think this was past, like, the, I think this was, like, night three, and he hadn't slept a single minute since starting the race, which is, like, I would not recommend after seeing this guy. And he was just, like, out of it, like, asking where the train was. Um, oh, you know no. markers were right in front of him he's like "Do well, you know which way that like choruses are like buddy like they're like markers right there and like you know when you get to that point it's a bit worrisome because you're like he yes. is just so disoriented yeah um, but then other people i mean had some pretty like funny hallucinations after like one guy was getting chased by penguins he thought um another guy thinking he saw elvis on the lake playing his guitar Man, he
1: might have Aunt he my, might. Have. Yeah.
14: <laughs> you never know there are penguins in Tahoe and Elvis did come back
1: <laughs> the final clip I'm going to play in this segment is from one of my favorite conversations I've had on the podcast with uh it was episode number 35 with James Campbell he's an author uh he wrote this really excellent book called braving it it's about going into the Alaska backcountry wilderness like way above the Arctic circle with his teenage daughter, and he brought her there on a few trips to build some cabins for a cousin, and the final trip they canoed in an Alaskan tundra river all the way up to the Arctic Ocean. And when they got to the ocean, they ran a foul. A foul? They ran a foot. A foot? I don't know. They ran into a polar bear. My favorite part of the book was when you guys kind of got to the end of the river and you're waiting for a plane. And then all of a sudden a polar bear starts meandering into camp.
7: <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I wrote
1: in my notes, bear safety, bear safety tips, yeah. but then I put dot, dot, okay. dot. And then in caps, I put polar bear safety tips.
11: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they polar bears, are, you know, they're apex predators. They yeah. are the top, of the food chain, and we saw you know a number of grizzlies, and the grizzly, unless I mean we saw we saw you know a sow with cubs too. I just read but that unless part. <laughs> unless a sow is really kind of um anxious about her cubs, she's going to turn away. Um the only other thing you know with a grizzly is coming upon a grizzly you know, who's, who's sitting on a kill. Now that is dangerous. Yeah. And you never know. You could be walking through a willow bar and a grizzly could have, you know, killed a caribou and, um, you are downwind of the grizzly. So it doesn't smell you. Um, and then all of a sudden you come upon it, you don't see tracks or anything. Now that can be dangerous. That would be like the worst case a- scenario worst case scenario but a polar bear you know a polar bear is just unintimidated yeah they just unintimidated by by humans
1: yeah and you guys had like another group joined you at that point right so you guys had yeah. quite a bit of people standing shoulder to shoulder that was i don't know why that visual i was like this is my favorite visual in the book just standing shoulder
11: to shoulder yelling <laughs> at a bear <laughs> yeah well that's what we were doing you know they they came down so the first time Aiden and I saw it, we saw it on our own. and uh, The second time, we thought, holy crap, we're here on the beach, and here it comes. Yeah. And that was, that was nerve-wracking. But, yeah, fortunately, we had the group. Um, you know, with a polar bear, there's certainly power in numbers. And, um, and I think that had it just been Aiden and me at the time, who knows? I, I really don't know what yeah. would have happened.
1: Yeah, oh man, that's—it's so funny. You just level up on bears because you know I'm from Iowa. We didn't really have many bears. Uh, yeah. Lived in Virginia for a bit, which apparently there's black bears all over the place, and I didn't see yeah. one, which I was kind of disappointed <laughs> about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. But now I'm like, you know, for me, I'm like, oh man, what am I gonna do if I see a black bear? And I know for the most part, yeah. they're pretty safe you know yeah Uh, right and i'm like i can't even imagine a grizzly bear but for you you're like the grizzly bears aren't a big problem the polar bears
11: (laughs) yeah well you know grizzly bears are scary too but i mean you see a bear and you know i don't care i don't care whether you got a shotgun a rifle a handgun pepper spray or whatever it's scary
1: all right, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up the clip show. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I've enjoyed over the last few weeks going back and kind of, you know, skipping around some episodes, trying to trying to remember. It's funny how much of a conversation you forget, uh, you know, weeks, months, years after you have it. So super cool. Thank you to all of the guests. Thank you for everyone who's been on the show. Honestly, you all have brought something special to my life you brought you know tools and advice that i've been able to apply so thank you uh you you guys all inspire me very much so definitely my favorite part about the podcast so far is just the it kind of gives you permission to talk to all these really cool interesting people about something they're passionate about so so thank you and thank you guys for listening uh this is episode 80 that like I said at the beginning, that's crazy to me. It blows my mind. Um, I'm super proud of this project. I'm incredibly grateful for people who have listened and for people who have written in and and everything. It definitely uh, keeps, us, keeps us going here. Um, I hope you guys like the new logo. I think it's cool. Uh, if you guys really like it, I have a whole bunch of little tiny stickers. So... Uh, yeah, write me an email like a bigfoot at gmail I'd love to just send you one. Like, won't cost you a thing. Um, it'd be badass. I just think it's super cool. I have one on my computer. They're tiny, just to tell you. But uh, but yeah, I just think it's cool. Uh, <laughs> like, I think everybody out there should just start something of their own, and you know, work at it and make it something that you can be proud of. I think it's it's just it makes it's just another really interesting aspect of life is starting your own project so uh go out and do that guys um if you enjoy this episode you can find all of our episodes at like a Bigfoot on itunes wherever you listen to podcasts soundcloud things like that if you guys go on itunes we got a couple new reviews this week which was super nice um go on itunes leave us a review that would be excellent and uh yeah, we have a lot a lot of really fun, exciting things planned in the future. Next episode, I'll share the big event. And by big event, I mean the absolute hardest event I will have ever done um, that I signed up for yesterday. So that'll be next episode. And then I'm sure I'm going to talk about it quite a bit until the event happens in June. Um, it, basically, there's going to be a lot of stories of me in excru- <laughs> excruciating pain uh you know participating in this thing is crazy i promise you it's crazy um but yeah so i hope you guys hope you guys set your own crazy goals i don't know i don't know what else to say um there's one last thing on the podcast i wanted to share uh it was the most important debate we've ever had on the show and it was with someone who was already on the on this clip show Mr. Travis Stefan, he said the most preposterous thing. Let me summarize here. I talked to him, I've talked to him a couple of times. He's my best, one of my best friends, my best friend. And we have, it's funny, our personalities are very different and yet are, we're both like intrinsically motivated to go after our you know go after what we want to go after in life and so in that sense we are very much alike but our personalities are so different so way back in episode 10 I was trying to confess to him that I had recently re-watched City Slickers with Billy Crystal the classic and shockingly I shocked myself re-watching it because I hadn't seen it un- since I was a kid and as I was re-watching it, I thought to myself, oh my God, this is in my top 10 movies and it's probably influenced a lot a lot of what I've done with my life, which is, you know, chase happiness and you know, go on adventures and have a good time with your buddies, you know? Um, and it really touched me. I was like, man, City Slickers, who would have thought? Top ten movie for me, and so I brought this up to Travis, and he said the most preposterous thing. And so that's the clip I want to leave you with. Um, actually, it was this is this clip I'm going to play is from the second time he was on the show, number twenty nine. So hope you guys enjoy, and we'll catch you next week. Uh, speaking of rabbit holes, there is something I did want to bring up because. This is episode 29, and you are the only person I got into an on-air argument with.
9: Is that right? Yep.
1: Do you remember Did what it was about?
9: City Slickers.
1: It was about City Slickers. Yeah, I do remember So that. you got to go back and listen to episode 10, but basically, Travis had the, said the most preposterous thing I think he's ever said in his whole entire life, and he said, City Slickers 2 is better than City Slickers 1, which is yeah. so bonkers. Totally true. Bananas crazy.
9: jealous yeah, I love it. <laughs> Isn't it? And they they we know find the we,
1: Curly's gold at the end. They we, okay, it. so I did mess up. I messed the plot up. Yes, that's true. But yep. the sentiment that I was bringing to the table is that City Slickers 1 had like a legit message Legit humor, that was like, not sophisticated necessarily, but like, kind of more, way more sophisticated than City Slickers Two, which had like Billy Crystal like dancing in his underwear and like, all this other just so dumb. It was so dumb, dude. (laughs) I don't know how else to put it. City Slickers Two is really dumb.
9: I want to watch it again. All right, so but I will say one thing well
1: that's what i want to bring up so let's see if this works this is going to be um as technical as this podcast gets so hold on
5: let me just just, let me
1: just bring to the table evidence like hang on hey
9: well you you sound like you went from microphone to laptop
1: i did Uh, and i have to okay for a specific reason because i'm bringing to the table evidence for you travis Okay. You're a scientific person. We've established this. (laughs) Sure. So here's your evidence. Here I will enter evidence piece number
7: one. Do you know what the secret of life is? No. What? This. Your finger? One thing. Just one thing.
3: You stick to that and everything else don't mean shit. That's great, but...
2: What's the one thing? That's what you've got to figure out.
1: Poignant is poignant a word. Poignant. Poignant. Poignant advice here, Travis. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'd say so. You, you can take that advice and use it in real everyday life. It's true. From City Slickers one. Yes, I would agree. Okay. That's City Slickers 1. Let me enter evidence piece number 2. Oh, you're ske- you're going to show a skewed picture, I think. Oh, my
3: God. The snake.
12: The snake. The rattler.
4: Ah. He's in the MBS. Oh, God. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Hold on.
3: Hold on. Somebody. Suck Some out the poison.
9: Please. <laughs> you're friend. Yeah? But you slept with a sister. That's City Slickers 2.
11: Man, you're noticing right now that we're both laughing, though. (laughs)